Hey, welcome to part three of our series, God Behaving Badly. Uh, I really want to start with this statement uh, by Richard Dawkins. This is what he said. And he wrote a book called The God Delusion. And and this is what he, he says this. He said, God is not only a delusion, but a pernicious delusion. Not a pernicious delusion. We all know what pernicious means. Once, maybe you can tell me what it means. I have no idea what it means. But anyway, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. This is what he wrote. He's jealous and proud of it. A pity, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist. This guy's got issues. He's got issues. But here's the thing. Lots of people actually believe this. In fact, you may be in this room, you may even believe some of these things. And this is what our series is all about. It's exploring all these questions. Is God sexist? And if you've been following along on our series, we, we explored that um, two weeks ago in our first part of the series, Is God Sexist? And, or is God homophobic? And we explored that last week. If you missed it, I encourage you, go back, watch it back on YouTube, listen back to it. It was great teaching. God is not phobic about anything, but we can. Great series. And so we're going to be exploring all these assumptions that have have been made. And this is what we discover as we begin to explore these assumptions. We discover that God doesn't behave badly. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. You know, um, most Kiwis, we we kind of believe that that, uh, New Zealand is a beautiful country. And it is a beautiful country. I love New Zealand. It's green. Um, it's everybody's nice to one another. You know, we, we treat each other well, don't we? We treat everybody the same, right? Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. We look at other countries and we say, well, that country is a racist country. Or we look at another, we judge other nations as being racist, but not New Zealand, not little old New Zealand, not the land of the long white cloud, Aotearoa, not here. This, this country is, we, we zero tolerance of racism in this country, right? Right? But here's the thing. Uh, the issue with, with, with New Zealand is that it's subtly racist, and we make subtle race, uh, racist comments, and we aren't even aware of it. And I've, I've heard comments. In fact, I've even said comments. You may have even said some of these comments. We say these things, and we're, and we're subtly, in, and we say things like, like uh, uh, oh, you know, someone cuts you off, and you have a look, oh, Asian drivers. Anybody said that before? Asian drivers? I know no one in this room have ever said that before. Or you have, have a look, oh, it's a woman, woman drivers. Anybody said that before? Woman drivers. In fact, we dealt with, as God sexist two weeks ago. Uh, this is what I say. I say uh, overcautious driver. I just say that, overcautious driver. And here's the thing. When I say overcautious driver, what I mean is this. They're cautious, I'm not. Therefore, I am the issue. I am the issue. We said we throw these words out there and we say, oh, look, I'm not racist, but we suddenly say stuff. Right? Well, the problem with the warriors is too many islanders. Too many islanders, too, too brown. The warriors are too brown. We need more Australians who can think. <clears throat> I hear this on talk back all the time. And so what are you saying? So the islanders can't think. That's what we're saying? Or, uh, you know, those, those Indians are always ripping us off at the shop. You ever heard that before? <coughs> Cough, cough, cough. <clears throat> or, or, or um, man, those white people, they're so arrogant. I think they're right about everything. Oh, you know, we really accept what you do. It's just that our ways are better. You know, we throw these words around. 
Or, you know that people group? Those people are always on social welfare. They spend all their money on drugs and alcohol. Throw these words around. Words that we throw around and and, and we go, oh, well, no, I'm not racist. But we subtly say things. Oh, I say them, but I'm not racist. Then why do we say them? And this is the issue. This is the issue. We're quick to judge other nations, but we are not, well, we're slow to look in the mirror in our own country. And it's the subtleness that's the issue. That's the issue. Uh, today we're going to explore this question Is God racist? Many people believe that racism originates from the Bible. The problem we have issues with racism within the Western culture, within, within this country, it came out of the Bible. And it's now part of our, it's seeped into our culture. Many people have rejected the Bible because of, of all these things that people say, oh, the Bible is just a racist book. It's just, it's so racist. Uh, like, like, for example, like I heard this on the radio, this humanist person, she, she's humanist and she was arguing that, that, um, that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament, where Jesus shares his love to all nations. But the God of the Old Testament, he only chose one people group. So if you're not part of the chosen people, Chosen people are going to heaven, but the rest are going to hell. If you're not part of the chosen people, you're going to hell. Right? So therefore, the Bible contradicts itself. It contradicts itself. And this is what we're going to be exploring today. Does the Bible contradict itself? Is the Bible racist? Is the, the God of the Old Testament, is he racist? Um, the, when we read the Bible narrative, especially the Old Testament, we see that God clearly chooses one people group, the Israelites. And you can, well, therefore God is racist because he's only chose this group. And if you're not part of this group, then you're not going to be saved because only the chosen are saved. All the rest, go to hell. So let's, let's explore this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. This is what we find in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is, God blesses Abraham. And it's what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. God blesses Abraham and he forms a covenant with him. Abraham becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And we all know that song, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I want, I'm just singing this by myself. Okay, just keep going. You know, um, we know the song, Father Abraham, you know, but so God gives us blessing and he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever, whoever curses you, I will curse. And so we go, well, there it is. Favoritism. The chosen people. So, um, so God chooses Abraham's children, but everybody else he doesn't choose. Everybody else can go to hell, but Abraham's chosen, these special people, because everybody else isn't special, but these special people are going to be treated differently and treated nicely, because these are my favorite kids, and you're my favorite son, but you, you're not my favorite son. And here it is, right? But here's the thing, we've got to keep reading. What, what is the purpose of being the chosen people? Why did, why did God choose Israel? And in fact, what is the purpose of being a chosen people? What was the purpose of the chosen people? And the answer to that question is found in the next and the next verse, and here it goes. And this is what this is the purpose. This is why God chose Israel. In verse three, I will bless, I will bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here it is. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the purpose, the purpose of the chosen people, so that all families of the world will be blessed. 
This is the purpose of the chosen people, so that all the people of the world, all families of the world, will be blessed. It wasn't like, God didn't say like, oh, you know what, I've chosen this people here, and oh, well, it didn't work out well because they were rebellious and they ran away from me. So now in the New Testament, Jesus is bringing, bringing the love to all the world. And um, so now this is plan B. Plan A didn't go so well, so now I'm going to plan B. You know, my love for the world is plan B. Not, that, not, not true at all. Right from the beginning, this was God's mission from the beginning, that all the world will be blessed. And so when, when, we, when we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in Exodus, after God rescues his, the chosen people, after God rescues the chosen people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, and he makes a covenant partnership with them. He brings them to Mount Sinai, he makes a covenant partnership with them, and he gives the terms of this covenant. Here are the terms of the agreement that I'm making with you. Here are the terms, and he gives the terms, and what's, what's known as the Ten Commandments, a part of the terms of, the, of, of, the, of, this, of this covenant partnership. In fact, there's 613 laws, okay, terms, 613, and, and, but we only know them as 10. But 613, here are the terms of this partnership. And so, so God says this in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. He says, now, this is what he says. He says this to Moses and tells Moses, this is what I want you to pass on to the Israelites. Pass this on. He says, now if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Oh, here we go, favoritism again. So only Israel is the treasured possession, everybody else is rubbish. <laughs> if you're not part of this family, then you're rubbish. Right? Actually, what happens next is that God gives, gives the why. Why is Israel? Why is Israel the chosen people? So we know the purpose so that the families of the world will be blessed. What's the why? And here we go, and, 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 he, and he carries on. Gives the why in the, next, in the next sentence, why they're the chosen people. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. So the Israel, the, this chosen nation, it's going to be a nation of priests. This whole nation of priests, a holy nation, okay? These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses, you go tell the people. You go tell the people that they will be a kingdom of priests, not just a select few, but a kingdom of priests. What's the purpose of a priest? What is the purpose of a priest? The purpose of a priest is to mediate or bring back into a right relationship, right relationship two parties, that's what the purpose of, 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 the, of a priest is to bring to mediate or bring back into a right relationship with two parties together. So, the, so Israel, as the chosen people, as God's chosen people, they were chosen so that they can bring all the nations back into a right relationship with God. This is why God, God out of the many, God chooses the one to bring blessing to the many. Out of the many of the world, God chooses the one to bring a blessing to the many. And he chooses, um, he chooses Israel to bring, to bring a blessing to the world. And not only that, to be priests of the world, to, to point them back to God, that they lived in such a way, they lived in such a way that all the nations will look at Israel and go, that is the God we want to serve. 
that is the, the one, this is the God, and they're pointing the way to God. They were to be signposts pointing to God. But it didn't go to plan. In fact, it kind of got, went, a bit, went a bit sideways, or very sideways. But before we get there, so now as, as the children of Israel, they, they arrive on the borders of Canaan. They're about to take possession, reposition of the land of Canaan. And the land, the land of Canaan becomes the land of Israel. Comes the land of Israel. So before they take possession of the land of Canaan, Joshua begins to record the conquest and what they did. This is what Joshua writes. He leads the, he leads the children of Israel across the Jordan and they begin to, to, to bring war on the people of Canaan. And this is what Joshua write, writes in, in Joshua 10, verse 40. He writes this, so, so Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, and the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all the kings. He left no survivors. Did he leave any survivors? He left no survivors. This is what he writes. He totally, totally, who do they, what does that include? It means everybody. He totally destroyed all who breathed. Okay, here's the thing. Just as the Lord, capital L, meaning Yahweh, just as Yahweh, the God of Israel, had commanded. Oh, what? Huh? What? What, 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 did, what does it say? What, did God just command genocide? Did God just command ethnic cleansing? Did he just say that? Did he just command that? And if it was based upon race, then we could say that God is a racist, that he commands, he, he points out, bring genocide on these people, uh, ethnic cleansing, wipe them out of this land, right? What, one thing we do notice about this statement is, because what we do know when we read the narrative of Joshua, Joshua doesn't, he, he, he doesn't totally destroy everybody. In fact, there's still a whole bunch of people around. He doesn't do that at all. There's still a lot of, lot of, lot of the Canaanites still living uh, in the settlement, and they troubled them right through, right through the whole Bible narrative. It's what we call hyperbole statements, right? It's like, like friend, here's a hyperbole statement. The Argentinian rugby team killed the All Blacks last night. Oh, that was, oh, sorry, that was a bit hard, eh, right? We know that the All Blacks aren't dead. They lost. That's right. They lost. We've got a prayer team after the service for anybody who needs um, prayer. It's a high, we say this all the time, right? We smashed them. Well, you didn't smash them. You, you just won a game. You just won the game of table tennis. I smashed them. It's a hyperbole statement. And this is the kind of statement. That, and so the hyperbole statement was, was, was a genre that was used right through the ancient world. But here's the thing. Dig to did God, this is pretty hard reading. It's, it's horrible, really, really. It's like, did God really command all this? The God of mercy and the God of love, the God of grace? Uh, so if he did command us, then, then based upon race, then, then man, God is a racist. However, I, I knew you knew there was a how, however coming. However, when we read Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 5, this is what it says. This is God speaking. This, it is not because you are so good or, or have such integrity that you're about to occupy the land. I love this. He said, well, you, you chosen people. It's not because you are highly favored. 
that you're going to take this land. It's not because you're people of high integrity. Man, you're fu- you've been a pain in my backside. Sometimes I just wanted to wipe you up just over there. You guys are oh, complain, 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 like a dripping tap. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, <laughs> so he says, look, you're not going to take the land of Canaan because of how good you are. No way. Uh-uh. This is why you're going to take, this is the reason why. This is the reason why you're taking possession of this land. And he goes, the Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you. Only, everybody say the word only. Only, only because of their wickedness. And to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, the, the command to destroy was not based upon race, but upon judgment. What do we know about the Canaanites? Now, even by ancient um, civilization standards, the Canaanites were a nasty bunch. They were a nasty, evil bunch. In fact, even the surrounding nations were, they were horrified by what the Canaanites did. So the other surrounding nations, they, they, weren't, they, they, they weren't saints. In fact, they were pretty horrible themselves. They were, the surrounding nations to the Canaanites, they were very horrible as well. But compared to the Canaanites, they were saints. Compared to the, this is what the, the, the Canaanites worshipped. Their religion was, um, was, a fertility, was a fertility religion. And they worshipped the god Moloch. And Moloch was a fertility god. And so they practiced they, they practice the, um, the ways of this fertility God through sexual practice. And sexually, nothing was sacred. Part of their practice was, was having sex with children, having sex with, with, with animals, even the sacrifice of children. And they worship Moloch. Moloch, and they, and they, 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 they created um, idols of Moloch. And he was, he, was, he was like an upright bull with, a, with, a, like a, with outstretched arms like this with a human head. And they would stoke fire in the belly of Moloch, this, this metal idol, and it heat them up so much so that when they brought the babies and they put them, put them on the arms of Moloch, that they would die. They would die in agony in the arms of this burning hot God. In fact, it wasn't just infants that they sacrificed, but children as old as four years old were sacrificed on Moloch. In fact, archaeologists have have discovered thousands upon thousands upon thousands of remains of children who were sacrificed in this way. So when God condemned the Canaanites, it wasn't based upon race. It was, based, it was because they were wicked, because of what they did to their children, this wicked practice. It wasn't because the Israelites were special. It's because the Canaanites were wicked. And so when we find a way to... When we find a way to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, which is, which is the, which the Leviticus is all about the, it's the terms of, the, of this covenant agreement that God made with them on Mount Sinai, right? The 313 laws, this, the, term of agree, the terms of agreement that he makes with them. And, and so here's one of these terms of agreement that he makes with them in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. 34 says this, this is what they say, this is part of the terms. If you're going to be part of God's covenant, this is what you need to obey. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. I just wonder how many people in this room are not born in this country? Lift your hand up. There's a few hands going up. So according to, this, to God's command is this, is that we've got to treat you as if you're native born. And it says, love them as yourself. 
For you were foreigners in Egypt. So he's saying to Israel, remember, you too used to be a foreigner in another country, and they treated you really badly in Egypt. Don't you, don't you become just like Egypt. Don't let the oppressed become the oppressors. But you've got to love them just as you love yourself. For I am the Lord your God. See, this does not sound like a racist God. This is part of the Torah. This is part of the commandments to love the foreigner living amongst you. This does not sound like a racist God. Love the foreigner living among you. Love them as you love yourself. Love the Somalian that lives next door to you. Love that woman on the bus who is in full burqa outfit. Love that, 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 that patch gang member who's at the dairy. Oh, that's kind of hard. I don't know if I can love them. I can, okay, I can show love to a Muslim. I don't know if I'm going to show love to a patch gang member. This is, what, this is it. You know, can you love them? Can you see them as the image of God? Love that person in your office who is wearing a turban. Love the foreigner living among you as yourself. So if racism doesn't stem from the Bible, where does it stem from? Where does it, how does it seep into our culture, especially our Western culture? Where does it stem from? Has anybody ever heard of a man by the name of um, Aristotle? Aristotle is uh, known as the father of Western logic. He's known as one of the greatest philosophers of all time. In fact, in fact, his moral and political philosophy still remains influential today. The father of Western logic, Aristotle. In fact, if you were here and we did um, Is God Sexist, we would discover that Aristotle believed that women were a deficient form of men. And so this whole thing, sexism, doesn't come from the Bible, it comes out of Greek philosophy. What Aristotle also believed, he believed for some people, being enslaved was just and even beneficial for them. He believed that there are some human beings who naturally lack the capacity to, to deliberate. Therefore, the typical slave is enslaved justly. Aristotle argued that non-Greeks were natural slaves. So if you're not Greek, you're a natural slave. You obviously haven't got... You can't really think that well. You're a natural slave. In fact, Aristotle's um, argument was, was one that of many used throughout history to justify slavery. The American slaveholders incorporated much of Aristotle's arguments, claiming that slavery benefited the enslaved. Slavery was justified because black people were inherently less rational and intelligent. Much of the black life Lives Matters movement in America stems out of this Greek thinking and that has seeped into our Western culture today, perpetuated by Darwinism and evolution. So how do we overcome, how do we overcome racism? Especially when it's so subtle in our, in our culture, in our New Zealand Kiwi culture. This is how we overcome racism, is by being honest. Talk about it. Ask the question, am I subtly racist? Have I, do I say those comments? Oh, Asian drivers. Oh, man, look who's ripping us off, those, those Indians. Oh, those white people, so arrogant. Those people always on the dole. Oh, I'm not racist. If you're not racist, oh, I just said it, but I'm not racist. Well, then why do you say it? We need to ask, ask the big question. We need to ask ourselves. We need to be honest. Where does this come from? 
Where, where does this stem from? Ask those questions. Let's just confront it in our own life. Let's don't ignore it. Oh, I'm just going to ignore it. It's not really a problem. Don't ignore it. See, in order to alleviate injustice, it is essential to recognize the injustice exists. See, if we were to help, help in the ending of injustices of that racism causes, then we need to be aware of some of these prejudices that are in our culture today. And also, how did our society get where it is today? I'm, I'm not talking about American culture. I'm talking about New Zealand culture. We need to ask, we need to educate ourselves. Where do these prejudices come in, Where did it come from? How did it seep into our Kiwi culture? In fact, how did our society get here? Why do we have prejudice against some groups? I mean, why do we get upset when some people are, are protesting? By how about let's begin to educate ourselves. What's, what's going on? Where did this happen? Why? What is the why? See, knowledge is power. Understand what is going on. Understand one another's offenses. Understand and begin to learn and begin to understand and, and to begin to deal with what's really going on. But let's not hide about it because if we, if we hide and then, uh, then we don't, if we hide from them, we don't recognize that injustice in, uh, exists. Oh, not New Zealand. Injustices don't exist in New Zealand. Not, not a little the land of the long white cloud. God's own, not in this country. We need to get out of denial. Because if we're not part of the, the answer, then we're part of the problem. Make friends with people of, of, of a different ethnic background. Be the reason someone believes in the goodness of people. Oh, you know, there's so much injustice in the world that people start believing that, that there is, well, well, we're just too bad. I like, know oh, some people, oh, the problem of this world is people. Well, be the reason someone believes in the goodness of people. Be that reason. Israel was supposed to reveal God to the nations. This is why they were chosen. But yet God's chosen people continually failed. They began worshiping the other gods of the nation. Instead of like living in such a way the other gods would come and worship Yahweh, they started following the practices of the other nations and the oppressors became the oppressed. The, the oppressed became the oppressors. So once again, God chooses one out of the many so that the many would be blessed. So when Jesus comes onto the scene, he does exactly that. He sought out the ostracized and the hated, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He looked out for the poor and he told his disciples to do likewise. Jesus attacks racism head on with the story of the Samaritan man. And many of us know the story of the Samaritan man. In fact, in your Bible, it has a racist term. Your Bible might have a racist term about the Samaritan man. Because in your Bibles, there might be a subheading that says this, the good Samaritan. What's interesting about that is that even that term, the good Samaritan, is a racist term. Because you know what that term says? It says, this is a good Samaritan, but the others aren't. The good Samaritan, so the others aren't, but at least there's one. So even the terms that have seeped into our translation, it's the story of the Samaritan man, not the good Samaritan man. He's just a man. It's like saying the good Kiwi, because the, the other Kiwis are terrible. The good All Black, because the others play badly anyway. <laughs> need, need healing after the service. And he begins, so here's Jesus, and he's replying to the teacher of the law. 
the teacher of the law, the teacher of the law who, who understood the terms of, terms of condition for the covenant that was, that was made at Mount Sinai, who understood it really well. And he replies to him, he said, because the, 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 uh, the, the teacher of the law says, who was our neighbor? Jesus begins to tell him who's his neighbor. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So if he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's, he's a Jew, he's an Israelite. Okay, he's your fellow Jew, your fellow Israelite. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Oh no, your fellow Jew. He's beaten, he's half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You've got a religious leader. Instead of helping his, his fellow brother, he walks away, keeps going, it's not my problem. So too, a Levite, a spirit-filled person. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. Someone's filled by the presence of God. Filled by God's presence, sees somebody and he walks away. And then it says this, but a Samaritan, Jesus doesn't say, but a good Samaritan. Where did that come from? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, there's only one, there was at least one good Samaritan. He said, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Here's the credit card. Here's my credit card. Help this man. Then Jesus says this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Then the expert of the law, the one who knew the Torah, who knew the terms of the covenant, who knew the terms of, if there's a foreigner living in your land, love them as your own native born, as yourself. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And this is what we know about Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. Racism separated these two people groups. In fact, if you're a Jew and you're heading, you're heading to a town and, there's a, there's a, and, the, and a Samaritan city was in your way, you wouldn't even walk through the city. Because I'm not even get the dust of some Samaritan scum onto my sandals. I'm going to walk the long way to get there. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be defiled by the Samaritan dust. The hatred... The hatred between these people was strong, and we may miss this. And so the ones that should have helped their fellow man didn't. And the one that did shouldn't. But what separated the other, him from the other two was that he had compassion upon this man. He didn't ask the question, why? Let me tell you something about the Levite and the priest. When Jesus told us, they would have asked the question, why is this happening? Maybe he was a bad man. He deserved what he got. The sin, it's, just, it's his own fault, and I don't want to touch him. He might be dead. He's going to defile me. They're asking all the whys. The Samaritan man didn't ask why. When you see somebody on the street, it's not about, oh, well, how did they get there? Oh, maybe they spent all their money on drugs and alcohol. Maybe they just squandered all their money. Maybe they're just ripping off the system. He didn't ask why. He saw need, and he acted. He had compassion. Jesus knew that to... To overcome racism is with compassion. 
is to see every single person as made in the image of God. Not ask why they got there, but see a need and act. Will we be a people? Will we be a people of compassion? This is why the Apostle Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, the one who ran to his tomb, the one who Jesus restored, stored when he said to Peter, do you love my sheep? Three times, restores him. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And he's writing this letter. And he's writing this letter to, to, to a whole bunch of Jesus followers. And they're a mixed race of people. And when I look in this room here, this room is filled with people of mixed races. So Peter is writing this letter to you. Every single ethnic background that you represent in this room, every follower of Jesus that's in this room, he's writing, Peter's writing this letter to you. And as he writes this letter to you, he uses the language, uses this incredible language that is right through the Old Testament. It's the language of the chosen people. And as, he, as I read out this letter, I'm just going to read a portion of this. But Peter's writing this to you. This is a letter personally to you, and this is what he says. He says this, but you are a chosen people. Every single one of all the different races in this room. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What's the role of a priest? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Here's the why, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Come on. This is why you are chosen. This is why you are a royal priesthood. This is why you are a holy nation. This is why you are God's most prized possession, because you were once in darkness. Well, you were once rejected. You were once despised. You were once looked down on. But God loved you so much that He stepped into His creation. He binded Himself with flesh and on the cross, He died for your greatest sin. He died for every single one of you so that any of you who receive Him as His Lord and Savior will, will come into His family and be anointed priests so that we may go forth and take the exclusive love of God to all people of all nations, of all world, and show compassion. Be the reason someone believes in the goodness of people. Be that reason that you have been chosen. You have been called. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're God's most prized possession. Why? To take this exclusive love of God to all people of the world, all people's groups. So when we read the scriptures, this is what we discover. That God does not behave badly. And God is certainly not racist. That the Bible is a unified story from start to finish.